Welcome to the Like, Bite, and Share podcast, brought to you by Schweid & Sons. Learn the secrets of food and hospitality marketing from some of the best professionals in the food business. Here are your co-hosts, Rev Ciancio from Schweid & Sons and Brad Garoon from BurgerWeekly.com. Welcome to another episode of the Like, Bite, and Share podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Rev Ciancio from Schweid & Sons, and I'm joined, as always, by my burger-loving buddy, Brad Garoon from Burger Weekly. Hi, Brad. What up, Rev? Psyched to talk to Nell Casey from Gothamist today. I know she's a, a burger fan. In fact, uh, I can actually share with you the article of the first time she ever wrote about me on Gothamist. It's called? Uh, she wrote about the very last Polar Burger Club, which I think you were at. I was there. Yeah. Why don't you do that anymore? Uh, <laughs> because it's August and there are no blizzards. <laughs> no, I mean, like, there, was, there no, was there no blizzard this last winter? Uh, there, so the problem with the Polar Burger Club is, right, you can't, I can't send out the invite until we know it's a blizzard, right? Mm -hmm. And so the one or two blizzards we had this year either happened like they started at like one in the morning and they kind of like, you know, fluttered out. Uh, they weren't like total blizzards. Right. They were more like, uh, people got ready for the blizzard and then the blizzard kind of didn't happen and so... Yeah. I don't want to do it for the sake of doing it. Like, it, you truly have to be standing in the frozen tundra to do the Polar Burger Club. Yeah, my hands were very hurting after that one at Burger Burger. <laughs> so for the listeners who don't know what the Polar Burger Club is, it, it's just like the Polar Bear Club where uh, they go jump in the water and their skivvies when it's really cold. We wait until there's a blizzard, and then we eat hamburgers outdoors in uh, Hawaiian shirts in New York City, and it's spelled B-R-R-R-G-E-R, -R -R -E so it's, it's very punny. Yeah, I mean, I didn't even wear a Hawaiian shirt. I wore a coat and a hat, but I had to take <laughs> off my gloves to eat the burger. It was really uncomfortable. Full reveal, I'm the one that wears the Hawaiian shirt, so anyway, we're good. Yeah, there's a review of that whole experience on Burger Weekly. <laughs> <laughs> Brad, what's uh, any, any good burgers lately? Um, yeah, so I had the roadside burgers pretty good, but by and large, I've been trying to be good because, and this will be dated by the time this podcast comes out, but I am uh, saving myself for the burger equivalent of marriage known as the Time Out New York Amstelay Burger Battle. That yes. Uh, in terms of when we recorded this podcast, that's tomorrow. Exactly. <laughs> so you can, uh, sorry for the delay. <laughs> Some of the other uh, episodes were even more delayed, so it shouldn't be too bad, but I'm very excited for that. Uh, the roadside burger, definitely worth checking out. It's a little bit messier than uh, a typical Shake Shack burger. What about you? So I went to the Boston Battle of the Burger last week, mm -hmm. uh, where I ate 25 hamburgers in one day. Wow. Yeah, I wasn't going to do it, but, you know, Schweid & Sons, where I work, they were the sponsor for, uh, for the, one of the sponsors for the event, and there were 20 hamburgers there that featured our ground beef, and I thought it was sort of my duty as the marketing guy to, uh, to eat and document every single one of them. And I sputtered out twice. I sputtered out at like 14. I sputtered out again at 16, and then I pushed myself uh, through to 21. Let's be uh, let's be like totally transparent with our audience. Yes. When you say you ate 21 burgers, let's put in perspective. One, most of these burgers are small because it's a, a festival. Yes. And two, there are times when you know after two bites that a burger is good or bad, and the rest of that burger goes in the trash. Yes, and probably the correct way to frame this up would be I ate from 25 hamburgers. Perfect. Uh, there were a few that finished. If it was just too good to put down, uh, i finish it. Or if I was standing there in front of the chef and they were having like an intense conversation with me and I didn't want to just like toss it. So to be, uh, to be courteous, I finished the burger. Right, but let's, now let's be fair to you and your endurance as a burger eater. 
you're not going to eat 44 bites of any given hamburger. It just doesn't happen. There, there are not 44 bites of a given hamburger. So let's say you took two bites out of every, two bites out of most and three bites out of a couple, you still ate more hamburger than any human should, and that's why you're the co-host on the <laughs> No, and it was good, you know, and, and what I do love about those events is, look, I don't believe they're the best representation of that chef or that restaurant's ability to make food, um, but it's a great way to find out about you know, restaurants and burgers you may not know about. And it's a great way, like, if you're like me, I'm a taste collector, and, like, I want to see what's going on, the, you know, what what cheeses are people using, what are people doing to bacons, you know, how are they fixing eggs. And so to me, it's, it's, it's as much exploratory from, you know, the culinary aspect as it is, like, the restaurant discovery aspect. And so that, you know, if, to me, like, if I eat a burger I really like at one of these events, I'm, I mentally know I'm going to go back and try it in the restaurant. Will I see you tomorrow? You will. Schweiden Sons is the sponsor. And I'll tell you what burger I'm most excited about, so it'll be fun to see when we talk on the next podcast. Emily is doing their burger tomorrow, mm. uh, but they're not using the ground beef they normally use. They will be using Schweiden Sons ground beef. So it's a little personal dream come true that I can't wait for. That's cool. And another place that doesn't normally use your beef but will be using your beef tomorrow, Black Tap, uh, is another burger that people are like really going crazy about right now. Yes, we should talk about getting Joe from Black Tap on the show. I couldn't agree more. All right, well, with that, let's, uh, let's segue into this week's podcast. Everybody, I'd like to welcome Nell Casey to uh, another edition of Like, Bite, and Share podcast. She's the food editor for Gothamist. If you're not familiar with Gothamist, it's a website that's all about New York City and what happens in it. They cover everything from like politics to arrest to you know de Blasio eating pizza with a fork to things to do, arts and entertainment, uh, and, and, of course, food. Nell describes herself as a, a, a writer, a whiskey drinker, a friend to animals, and a self-proclaimed party starter. Nell, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, guys. So wh what are the requirements for one to become a, a self-proclaimed party starter? <laughs> I think anyone can get the party started wherever they are. You just got to, where there's a will, there's a way, you know? I mean, whether you do it professionally like I do, or you're just a person who likes to have fun and, and make people laugh and have a good time, I mean, hey, anything goes, right? Yes, just like this podcast where we're already on a tangent. <laughs> Talk about uh, what do you mean by you do it professionally? Um, well, I'm a producer and a host um, with a company called Secret Formula, and we produce events in New York City. Um, our most common event is a monthly sing-along at Union Hall. We do things like 90s Alternative, which is coming up in a couple weeks, um, and themes like that. It's basically we screen music videos, we subtitle them, we put a bunch of fun people in a room with alcohol, we press play, and we just sing and have a great party, and it's really, really fun. It's how I get my uh, all my energy out, <laughs> other than writing. So it's like it's like video karaoke, except nobody has to get on the mic? Exactly. It's group, there's safety in numbers, you know, no one gets singled out, so it's it's pretty fun. And, and do you have a, a 90s hip-hop video sing-along of choice? <laughs> Ooh. That's so hard. I mean, I, I always say I will never get sick of Genuine's Pony. I love that song. The oh, video man. is ludicrous and makes no sense, but it does. It's him in like a honky-tonk bar. It's incredible. I love it. I will always sing along to it, so I guess I'll, I'll, I'll go with that one for now. <laughs> the way you phrased that's a little confusing. Ludicrous is definitely not in the video, right? <laughs> no, I guess you're right. I'm sorry. I should have I chosen my words more carefully. As a writer, I am embarrassed. <laughs> Come on, move now. Get out the way. Exactly. <laughs> well, one of these days I'm going to convince you to do the entire uh, R. Kelly trapped in the closet in full. 
but I, I want I'll want you to produce it Rocky Horror Picture Show style, so everybody gets a character. Okay. Uh, and, and I want to be big man. So. I'm, okay, I'm writing that down. I'm holding you to that. <laughs> all right. So tell tell all of our listeners here what it is you do at, at Gothamist and what it means to be a food editor. Well, I mean, we use the term editor somewhat loosely here at Gothamist. Um, you know, a traditional editor job is to sort of take other people's work, mold it, um, you know, help them sort of. Uh, nurture it and help the piece flourish. Um, I do some of that here. Um, we get a lot of really fantastic freelance pitches from great writers, um, and we're always looking for more. So if anyone out there, we'll get to that later. But um, I also do a tremendous amount of writing here, um, as well as all the editors here at Gothamist do a lot of writing. So to me, food editor means, hey, is it something that you know someone wants to eat? Is it a restaurant that's opening? Is it um, something really interesting about food policy? There's a lot of that going on right now with um, fast food industry and minimum wage? Um, is it a quirky story about a cool person who works and manipulates food in some way? Um, so I guess that's sort of a general idea of what I do. <laughs> so what is a typical day like in the life of uh, Nell Casey? Uh, open my inbox, stress out that there are thousands of emails, uh, attempt to <laughs> drink as much coffee before answering said emails, and then sort of dive in. I mean. The way that my job works is oftentimes I'll have evergreen stories that I'm working on that I'll know in advance, okay, today's the day I'm going to tackle this great piece about where to eat French dip sandwiches. Other days it's, okay, what's the news of the day? What um, crazy thing has Danny Meyer done now? What Franken food are people on the interwebs talking about? And how can I bring that to a Gotham's audience and make it relatable to them and find out, you know, sort of what the news of the day is? So. Every day is different. I think that's probably true for most people who work um, in online media. It's just sort of the pace can be set for you early on in the day, and sometimes you're frantically running around and trying to keep up with what everyone else is talking about. In other days, you have a little bit more time to be reflective and, and think about longer pieces and what sort of things you personally are interested in and want to write about. Given the proliferation of Frankenfoods and Danny Meyer new restaurants, <laughs> how do you distill what you're going to write about? That's a tough question. Um, you know, obviously, the sort of <laughs> insanity re revolving Franken involving Frankenfood has reached a fever pitch, like you said. I mean, the cronut really opened the doors for just everyone to be like, okay, what insane two foods can I smash together? People are going to talk about. Um, I think first and foremost, it, for me, it either has to be something that I want to eat or that I would never want to eat. So, you know, for me, like, the ramen burger is a great example. From the second I saw a photo of it, I was like, I need that in my mouth immediately. That looks incredible. I want it. Give it to me. Um, so, you know, writing about that story was mostly just me being excited about something that, like, looked awesome, looked delicious, and something that I wanted to write about. Um, other times, and I'm sort of blanking on a good example of something, but you know, if I look at something and I'm like, that is the most disgusting thing I've ever seen in my whole life, I would never want to eat that, then I sort of like to have fun with it and, and also write about it. So I guess those are sort of two of the easiest parameters that I would use in determining whether something like that is newsworthy. Um, as far as Danny Meyer goes, he is such a busy guy and he's always doing something and People are still not sick of him. I mean, I can't tell you how many how many times I've written about Shake Shack, and it really doesn't matter what I'm saying about Shake Shack. I know that our readership is going to be interested in it because it's Shake Shack. Everybody loves it. Um, everybody loves Danny Meyer. He's such a 
an important figure in the New York restaurant scene that, you know, a lot of what he's doing is just innovative and interesting or just fun and delicious like Shake Shack. And I'm sure you guys have plenty of opinions about Shake Shack. Um, <laughs> that is true. But, yeah. So do you, do you have, like, a... Uh... Is there like a formula for like, okay, I need this many about restaurateurs, this many about Frankenfoods, this many listicles? Like, is there like a general uh, formula you're using to come up with the stories you're writing? I don't think there's a formula, no. Um, I, we obviously want to have as much variety as possible. We want to have a nice, you know, breadth of topics that we're covering. If I wrote a best of list every day of the week, that would be, first of all, really hard <laughs> and challenging on my end. But... Also really boring. I mean, best of lists are, are great tools um, for people to, to sort of maybe dive into a food item that they're not familiar with or argue about a food item that they love. Um, but publishing too many of those types of stories, you really start to dilute the message. At least that's my sort of feeling about it. Um, I try to, you know, if I can, write about a new restaurant, if not every day, then maybe every other day or several times a week. Um, I think that there are so many interesting restaurants opening and people, you know, the, the sort of appetite for, okay, the next thing, the new thing um, is always there in the food community and the people who enjoy learning and reading about that type, that type of thing. Um, so, but I don't think there's a particular formula. I mean, again, like I said, sometimes the news of the day is just the news of the day. So if the Times is tweeting about pea guacamole and everyone's freaking out about it, then you know, that's obviously something I'm going to want to talk about, too, because people are very passionate about pea guacamole, as it turns out. <laughs> I don't know if you guys read that story or if you know what I'm talking about. I have not, but now I need to know. Okay. It's, I guess I should have prefaced this with, like, peas as in, like, the vegetable or the legume, oh. rather, <laughs> not something foul and disgusting, which as soon as I was talking about it, I was like, oh, gosh, I really hope these guys know what I'm talking about because nope. otherwise that sounds so yucky. Well, okay, the really quick backstory is that the Times tweeted out a recipe that had actually been published on their website, I think, several years ago. Um, I believe it was Melissa Clark was um, a recipe that she adapted from ABC Cucina, I believe. Um, and the Times sort of sent out this really trolly tweet, like, you definitely want peas in your guacamole. Trust us. And it was like a photo of like some guacamole with peas on top of it. And people went insane and it was this whole Twitter thing where people were just like yelling at the New York Times, calling them stupid, saying they'd never trust them again. How dare they even suggest that someone put like English peas in their guacamole. So again, that's an example of something where, you know, the sort of like you get caught up in the zeitgeist of it and, and everyone's talking about it and our readers, you know, want to have a platform to talk about it too, because it's crazy. Yo, there is a uh, there is a an awesome, awesome, awesome old school Irish bar. Uh, okay. In, in way out in New Jersey called the Cloverleaf Tavern. Um, mm -hmm. it, it's, it's, there's a story that's been around for decades. It's traded hands a number of times. They sort of update themselves every year where, like, now they're serving crazy crap beers and yada, yada. Anyway, they have a sweet pea hummus on the menu mm. that is ridiculous. So the, the pea guacamole is now on, on my radar, and it will be. <laughs> I, like I, I can understand. At least chickpeas are also like a legume. I mean, there's sort of a relationship there, but guacamole and peas, I don't know. I don't know. I think I heard them talking about sweet pea guacamole, not sweet pea guacamole, just pea guacamole on this um, Grantland podcast, uh, Food News, but they, that turned into like a rage fest about how avocado love has gone out of control, which I couldn't disagree with more. And all the <laughs> avocado love in the world. 
Oh, you you you're ready to actually like accept more guacamole and more avocado into your life? I I could become a, an avocado and I'd be okay with it. Well, I mean, as a side note, I until literally last week thought I was allergic to avocado. Thought I couldn't eat it. I've been avoiding it for almost a decade. And then one night I had a few too many beers and I got a sandwich that had avocado all over it. I said, "F it, I'm going for it." And then realized I was not, in fact, allergic. To avocado. So is that your only you test that you did? Like, have you had avocado? I, <laughs> I would have like little bites here and there, but I had like a bad reaction to it a couple times when I was in college, and I thought, oh no, like I don't, I don't want to, you know, my my mouth would get sore, and it was like very uncomfortable. So, oh, I guess I'm allergic. I won't, I won't touch it. Yeah. And then for years, I didn't. Are you allergic to bananas? Yes, I am. Yeah, that's pretty common to be allergic to both. Yes, and bananas I still can't eat. They make my mouth hurt. I think you're still allergic to avocado too. Well, I'm eating it. I don't care. Okay. Well, <laughs> it's too good. Mentioned earlier that um, you know everyone wants to hear about the next great restaurant and the new mm -hmm. fad. So, how can a restaurant that's been around for a while, without doing something stunty and crazy, remain relevant and get placement in Gothamist? Well, we actually have a regular series that we call "Still Got It," in which we visit places that we've known and loved in our life that maybe we've covered on the site before um, that we want to revisit that we think still got it. Um, so that's something that we sort of do on our own initiative and that's not something that's PR driven or you know anything that's sort of promoted by a particular restaurant. That's just something that staffers really love. Um, I, I don't know, it's hard. I really uh, feel very deeply for restaurants in this city because you, you could come out with an incredible idea and an incredible restaurant. You could get reviewed all over the place, and then you know it's just, it's just the the noise is so loud that people are always looking for the next best thing. Um, I don't know. I mean, I could I, I love reading emails from really passionate people who run restaurants and are just like, hey, like I'm still here. Um, and you know, it doesn't necessarily mean that you know I think every restaurant should email Gothamist on a daily basis, but you know, it's always interesting to hear and sort of check in with. Places that have been open for a while, and I, I read almost—I would say—I read every single email that is addressed to my name. Um, and I, you know, maybe people on staff do it differently, but I, you know, I, I always say reach out. I mean, it's hard in my industry, and maybe you know, this is something that you have uh, scheduled to talk about later on the show. But it's—it's it's always so disheartening for me to for, to write a piece about something, and someone's like, "Oh, well." How could you not write about this place? And I and I think to myself, well, I wish I'd known about that place. I mean, if you think about the sheer volume of restaurants and and the places that we walk past every single day, I mean, it's staggering. So I wish that you know whether someone were a restaurant owner or even just a fan of their local neighborhood pub or their local neighborhood Thai spot, you know, write me an email, say, hey, you know, this place is really cool. Maybe you should you should go by and check it out one night, or you should talk to the owner. They have a cool story, or you know, hey, my restaurant's here. I, you know, I, I wish that people did that more often, frankly. So I think, I think you bring up a good, a good point there. Let, let's go down that path. What, uh, what pointers would you give to a publicist or a restaurant looking to get coverage from Gothamist? Well, I mean, first and foremost, I, <laughs> this seems like sort of basic, but I feel like it, it bears saying is that, you know, I, I do not envy people working in the publicity field. It is incredibly different, difficult. It's, must be so stressful. So first and foremost, I always really feel for people working in that industry because it's you really answer to your clients, but you have to sort of work with these other people, these these media people. So that being caught in the middle of that must be stressful. But you know, I can't tell you how often I get an email that's not addressed to my publication. They'll say, oh, you know, 
could you cover this on Eater? And I'm like, well, if I wrote for Eater, maybe, <laughs> but oh. I don't. Um, and it's, it's funny to me how often that happens. And again, like once you're writing 100 emails a day, I'm sure that you just, your eyes close over. But, you know, the simplest thing is, hey, make sure you know my name and make sure you know the publication I work for. And then beyond that, you know, if you're pitching me some sort of like clubby place in the meatpacking district and you're like, oh, I think Gotham Street readers would really love it. I mean, have you read our website? We're going to make fun of that. Like that's not something that, that we would necessarily be covering because it's not really what our audience is. So I would say just being really aware of who you're pitching and what their readership is and whether it's something that they actually um, would write about and, and would be relevant to, to sort of their demographic. And, you know, I get pitched things for places in other states sometimes and I think, what's happening here? Why is this? What's going on? Um, but other than that, like, I again, I always say, like, I always rather hear from someone than not hear from someone. You know, if you work in publicity and you're not sure, like, I get it. Just be like, hey, not sure this is a fit, but I wanted to reach out just so you had it on your radar, just so you know. Because um, I, I like to be informed and sometimes I feel like um, maybe there's an intimidation factor or they're not, you know, not quite sure, but always reach out. I mean, send an email, send a follow-up. Don't spam my inbox with a million emails, but, you know, feel free to follow up always. I like that. Um, I, hopefully that answers your question. I feel like yeah, I'm yeah, listen, I, I think that you are probably more honest and probably nicer and probably more progressive than a majority of the people out there in your position because there is that intimidation from a publicist or a restaurant or a marketer like, oh, why am I going to email this publication? They're not going to, you know, or I'm just going to add them to a list. Like, they're not going to read this. Uh, I think that you might be a, a cut different than everybody else. Well, I hope so. I did try to respond to every single email that I got in one day, and I, I couldn't do it. Um, <laughs> and that's another thing I would say, like, you know, if, if I don't, if a, a journalist or whoever you're trying to approach doesn't reply to you, it's not because they think you're dumb. It might even be because they opened your email and got distracted or something like that. So always follow up in, like, a respectful, nice human way. You, you know, talk to someone like they're another human being, and they're apt to listen to you. So no, knowing that Nell Casey's inbox is as stuffed after a night of binging on Frankenfoods, uh, <laughs> how much in advance do you suggest somebody reach out to you about something they're looking to get you to cover? Um, it depends on, on, on the event. If it's a restaurant opening, you know, feel free to ping me when you, know, you just started working with that client. Just say, hey, I want to put this on your radar. This is coming up in a month or it's coming up in two months. I mean, I sort of there's no sort of... Uh, there's nothing is too early because then it shows me that hey you care about the work that I'm doing enough to be like I'm interested and, and want you to cover this um, same goes for something like an event I when someone pitches me the same day as an event like let's say you're doing some sort of food thing a restaurant or somewhere else an independent thing you know if you've pitched me on the day it's probably too late so a week minimum or even a few days if you can give it to me is great because our volume is high we, we try to you know, put out as much as we can in a, in a given time, and um, you know, advance warning is always preferable to uh, either the day of or worse, finding out after that you know we weren't invited to cover it or weren't deemed worthy of covering it in some way. Do you uh do you read press releases when they get sent to you? Um, it depends on the release. I would say that I almost always read the opening salvo. So, hey now, blah blah blah. Um, you know, I read the, sort of the opening, and if it's something that really grabs me, I'll often read the rest of it. But if I'm, if I don't get what you're trying to tell me within a couple sentences, 
then you know I sometimes will have to move on to the next thing or say, okay, well, I'll revisit this later because I don't have time to sort of disassemble what they're trying to tell me about. Um, so, you know, it, it depends on the pitch again, but I'd say, like, I always want to sort of at least understand what you're talking about and what you're trying to sell within the first couple sentences um, because it just saves me a lot of time from reading all the different pitches that I get. I'm going to stand on the soapbox for a second but you doing it through your opinion. Um, if you were to get a press release that didn't have your name uh, at the top and maybe said something more like, hey, Gothamist, um, how likely are you to read that press release? Uh, I'd, I'd say equally likely if it's something in my field. Um, you know, the subject line sort of indicating what is happening will maybe uh, lead to a higher instance of my opening the email. We get, since Gothamist has a shared email account, I get, again, you know, hundreds and hundreds of pitches that are not related to the food section every single day. Um, so I always appreciate when a publicist or an individual puts in the subject line, you know, a buzzword that I know immediately has to do with food. You know, dinner or burger or, you know, whatever this sort of word is that they can use. Because then I'll look at that and be like, oh, okay, I, I, I should open that. That's related to something that, that is of interest to me that's part of my job. So, it, again, it's hit or miss. Sometimes yes, sometimes no. It just depends on you know, what I can glean from the subject line. Well, I know that I don't get a ton of press releases anymore since I'm no longer writing an active food blog, but <laughs> when I do and they do not start with my name or make it seem like they at least attempted to write it to me as opposed to many, I'm getting into the next steps with me is difficult. I'm the exact same yeah. way. I mean, I think, I, I definitely agree with you, and I know a lot of people, and I'm not necessarily saying Gothamist, but you guys obviously feel that way. I know a lot of people do feel the same way, because you could take the two seconds to look at our staff page and be like, okay, she's holding a beef rib in her hand in her staff <laughs> photo. Maybe this is the person I should be directing my food to. Um, I try to be a little bit more lenient on that, because... You know, again, I've never been a publicist, but I do most certainly appreciate what a difficult job that is and just the volume of emails and correspondence that you're dealing with on a daily basis. So, I don't know. I guess I'm, I'm a little bit of a softie when it comes to that thing, and I don't ever want to miss something, and I do miss things all the time. I miss things. Um, but I, I don't want to miss something just because something interesting to our readers just because someone didn't quite do all of their homework before pitching something to the, to the team here. You're a saint. <laughs> I, I, like I said, a cut above the rest. Now, out of curiosity, what's the most popular post you've ever written on Gothamist? Ooh, tough. Um, probably Ramen Burger. When I first wrote about Ramen Burger, that was huge. That went super viral. Um, I wrote about... Um, we got... We saw something on Reddit that was about um, frozen McRibs, and that story went crazy viral also. Um, those are two off the top of my head that I remember went insane. Um, I wrote about the Whole Foods, um, sort of their, like, the, pri not price gouging, but the improper weights on Whole Foods packaged items. That posted really, really well. And I wrote, actually, I've written a lot about McDonald's because I think McDonald's is <laughs> the worst thing in the whole world, and I write pretty passionately about how much I hate McDonald's, and I've written, not in this most recent past, but in a, the past year or so, written a lot about 
um, McDonald's treatment of their workers, um, you know, wage issues, wage theft issues. McDonald's at one point had a an absolutely ludicrous employee resource website that I lampooned many, many times because it was so ridiculous. And people really responded to that, and that was encouraging to me because, you know, people in certain communities are very aware of, you know, everything that goes into their food from where the food itself is from to how the people who work in the industry are treated, but I thought that it was promising um, to see a lot of people really responding to that story and perhaps making a change next time they were craving a fast food burger, maybe they would choose something else. Not that <laughs> every fast food place is, is necessarily better, but you know, in particular I have a very large bone to pick with McDonald's. I think every food fast food place might be better. <laughs> you could be right. You could be right. Certainly better than McDonald's, yeah. Man, people absolutely hate when I admit this. But I'm going to do it again. I have been quoted as saying, and I probably will again, you know how I know what it's like to stare in the eyes of God? I ate a double cheeseburger from McDonald's after drinking. <laughs> Look, drunchies are powerful, man. They, when you have the drunchies, you, your mind can be torn in many different directions. I, I completely understand. My personal drunchie is Taco Bell. Yeah, so. That's oh, pretty bad, too. Man. I love the uh, bell. I, I love Taco Bell. That, that's my drunchy go-to. I'm devastated that I don't live near one anymore. Well, not a 24-hour one or a late-night one, so it's been, been an adjustment. One of my, uh, one of my coworkers at Schweiden Sons uh, is a gentleman a little bit older than I am, and uh, when we go on road trips together for, like, sales road trips, we always go to Taco Bell. And one time I mm. asked him, I was like, you know, Dan, why do you love Taco Bell so much? And his answer was like, well, I'm going to be able to eat it my whole life. And I was like, well, what do you mean? He goes, you know, when my teeth fall out of my head, I'm in dentures. I'll still be able to chew this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so disturbing. But, but so true and so exciting to think about. Now I have something, like, that I can hold on to in my later years. Is I'll always have Taco Bell. Thank you for that. Thank your coworker for me. <laughs> yeah, that, that, I think Taco Bell's, you know, they're so focused on millennial marking, they need to uh, not forget about the older segment, you know. I agree. I want to commandeer the subject here for a moment, and I want to talk about something I'm obsessed with, and it's listicles. Uh, you can put up a li uh, 33 best of this, the top 10 of those, the 15 these you must eat. I can't stop clicking them. I realize it's total clickbait. You know, what are your feelings on listicles? Wow. Uh, complicated, uh, because I feel very similar to you. I mean, as, as much as I want to think that I'm, you know, above clickbait, I everybody loves clickbait. It's it's the junk food of internet media. I mean, like, you just, you can't, even those, like, really irritating for me, anyway, posts people put on Facebook, like, they're upworthy, like, oh, like, inspiring story, video, some mom does this, and you'll never believe what happened next. Like, I, even though I know what it's going to be, I still click on it. And I think that that's tenf increased tenfold when it's something about food. I mean, we're food people. We love food. We want to know, you know, what, what is the best? What is it? Do I not know about it? Um, so from, from a readership perspective, I'm sort of like, ugh. Part of me is like, I hate this. It's everywhere. It's so played out. But another part of me is like, wait, but I, I need to know. Like, what do they think is the best? And I, I think... Um, that's what makes those types of posts so popular is that, one, they're servicey. I mean, maybe I don't know where to get all, like, ten of the best plates of nachos, for example, was a post I was reading today on Thrillist. You know, I love nachos. I want to know more about them. And um, So they're servicey, and they're also really great for arguments. And this is something that I think plays more into, like, the publishing aspect is that, you know, people absolutely love to... 
either tell uh, me or whoever wrote the piece that we're stupid because we forgot their favorite place, or they want to yell at us and be all mad because we included their favorite place and we've quote unquote blown up their spot. Um, so I think there's a lot at play there, and you know, as much as they are sort of like I said, like sort of the junk food of um, of, of media, I also think that they do serve a really valuable purpose in, in starting a discussion about things and you know bonding over a shared love for hamburgers or hot dogs or whatever it is. Um, I don't know, so I have a complicated relationship with it, I guess. <laughs> so a cu couple questions in particular with listicles. If you're, <laughs> you're going to write one, how do you determine what goes on that list? So for, at Gothamist, we have a pretty, um, pretty democratic process and uh, how we go about it. We'll, if we're writing, so we do a weekly best of listicle. Um, it's not always food, sometimes it's something else, but we will have lengthy um, and often heated ed editorial discussions about what we think is worthy of inclusion and what's not worthy of inclusion. So often it'll start with the editor who's writing the piece proposing a question. Okay, who has a favorite, let's say, burger for the sake of this conversation? Um, who has a favorite burger? You know, let's all chime in. And then there's often argument about one person's opinion being wrong or, you know, we forgot this place, even within our own editorial team. Um, and then, you know, depending on what the subject is, like I think most New Yorkers and at least people on staff here have a pretty decent idea of like where the best pizza is. Um, and often they'll be sort of a dark horse, but most of us have eaten at all these places before, at least one staffer has, and they can really vouch for it um, in that way. But um, yeah, it's really, sometimes we'll put a notice out on our Facebook page if it's something a little bit more obscure. Um, but, you know, it is usually a process of, okay, what are our opinions? Okay, like, let's look at what other people have said. Do we agree with those opinions? Do we not agree with those opinions? Um, so there's sort of a lot of different ways that we pull in info for those listicles. So there's, there's no, like, formula. It, it sort of changes with the actual topic? Exactly. I mean, we have, we're actually in research right now for our Best Burgers post, and it's a lot of, okay, let's make an initial list. Okay, wait, wait, wait we got to add this place to the list. Okay, well, I ate at that place last night, and it sucked. we got to take it off the list. Um, so some of them are much more involved than others, and, and some are, you know, for more, like, niche stories. Maybe there aren't that many places serving, for example, a French dip sandwich or a specific, very specific type of food. So in that case, maybe there's a smaller pool, and it doesn't involve quite as much back and forth and quite as much, um, you know, testing and, and research. And Well, there's always a lot of research, but, you know, not quite as much back and forth. But well, we, we can definitely help you with the burger research. Yeah, for real. Good. If you, yes. if you could just also, if you don't want to enlist our help, if you could just do us all a huge favor and not put Burger Joint on there, that would be wonderful. <laughs> I don't think Burger Joint. Is that one of the chains? No, Burger Joint at the Parker Meridian. Oh, the Parker Meridian. Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's, I think that's, that's been on enough lists. <laughs> I don't even think it's in, in consideration. I could be wrong, oh. but I don't think it is. You just like sang a song like a nightingale. It was wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna have to ask you for a list of the most overrated burgers in New York City. I think that's definitely post-worthy, that relevant, that's, that's the one. <laughs> relevant information. Uh, yeah, sure. You got. It. I'm not gonna do it right now because I don't want to get a okay. bunch of angry emails. But <laughs> but I don't. But if, they, if Burger Joint wants to email me angrily, that's fine. That's that's the one. <laughs> 
They, they probably really don't care about your opinion at this point. I was going to say, yeah, they, they pretty much have their situation set up. I don't know, those 8th Street people might be a little upset. <laughs> <laughs> so, Nell, do you, ever get, do you ever get pitched on listicles? Like, hey, you guys should do a listicle of this? Yeah, um, we get pitched on listicles in more formal ways um, from other food writers and, and people like that. And then we'll also get, you know, we read the comments section begrudgingly sometimes, um, and people will often suggest, like, hey, maybe you guys should, should cover this kind of a topic, or we'll get an email um, asking us to, to cover something. For the most part, we do our own in-house lists, though. I mean, every year we have a very lengthy process for determining, okay, well, what are we, you know, what's going to be on our best of uh, editorial calendar this year? And we have it pretty much set out in advance, mostly because we want to have enough lead time for research and um, making sure that we have all the correct information. But we get pitched a, a, a lot um, on listicles, especially in the food world. I think because that's just every website's bread and butter in many ways. I mean, they're sort of guaranteed um, to get clicked on, as we've just talked about, for all those those reasons. Um, so we do get pitched. I mean, I we sort of... It will depend on the pitch whether or not we're going to look into it. Like, if someone's like, I'll pitch you best pizza. It's like, well, you know, we do that every year, and we have our own sort of um, mindset about that, and we have our own staffers who will do it. But, yeah, we do get... That's, that is a, a solid amount of our um, pitch stuff that we get now. Uh, well, first of all, I'm sure Brad and I will re uh, volunteer ourselves for research for many different foods. But besides that, <laughs> if, if I'm a publicist, right, or I'm a restaurant, and I'm looking to have be included in a listicle, and I am doing something that uh, is either unique or... Uh, we have something on our menu that kind of everybody talks about or something that we're known for. Like, what's a good way to get that on your radar without being egregious? Thank you for reminding me of that, because I do get a lot of those as well from publicists. Um, and, and it's so hard because, like, I think that one of, the, one of my pet peeves is, um, is a publicist sort of trying to give me a story that seems manufactured in the sense that, I'll get a lot of emails from publicists that will say something like, oh, like, our restaurant is doing this unique, interesting thing. Why don't you do a piece on where else to do and get that unique, interesting thing? And sometimes I look at that, I'm like, oh, that's interesting. It's an interesting idea. Maybe, maybe I'll look into it. But other times I'm kind of like, it just seems a little bit manufactured and a little bit like, not that they're trying to trick me into writing about something, but that it just seems like, okay, well, like, that's my job is to find the stories. Like, you give me the information in, like, a straightforward way, and I'll, I'll find a way to maybe spin it or, or make it part of a larger story. Um, so I don't know. That, that's sort of a slippery slope for me. I, I don't think or I can't think of an example when I've been emailed by a publicist who gave me, who basically wrote a listicle for me, and then I turned around and was like, oh, good idea. Let me write that listicle. Is that sort of what you're asking? I mean, sure. you asked for tips on how to get noticed, I guess. But No, no, that's definitely, definitely down the road. But, okay, so let's say, all right, if I'm hearing you correctly, right, I am a publicist or I'm a restaurant, and we have an amazing plate of nachos, right? Mm -hmm. And not just because I think so. Like, if you go to our Yelp page, it's, like, the number one thing people are talking about. I go to my Foursquare page. It's, like, the one thing people recommend. When people come in, it's my number one selling item, right? If I'm a publicist or a restaurant and I write you letters like, hey, I don't know if you're doing anything on nachos, but, you know, people really talk about our nachos. Here's something from Yelp. You know, here's a review from here, blah, blah, blah. You know, please consider us. 
in your next nacho roundup. Is, mm-hmm. would, that, would that work? Is that sort of along the lines of, of how you'd like to have that presented or something that would make sense? I think that's one way of doing it. Um, I think that I'm trying to think of like what's one thing that I respond to. Um, Gigantic pictures of delicious nachos. Honestly, I was literally just about to say that. Like, <laughs> because you know, it's it, you can write about it, a plate of nachos in the written form is sort of hard to describe. It's like, oh, well, we have cheese on ours. It's like, no way, I I didn't know that. Um, a sexy picture really, obviously, is going to go a long way um, towards catching my attention, mostly because I'm just always hungry and looking at photos of food all day. Um, that's a tough question. I I, I think um, oftentimes it's a matter of timing, which is, like, you know, difficult. But, you know, if I happen to be – if I happen to know I'm going to be writing about nachos in the next two weeks – and you, you pitch me a nacho thing, like, okay, well, I'm going to read that because that's something that's already on the, the front of my mind. Um, other than that, I mean, it's really, it, it's really hard to say. I, I, you know, the sexy photo always works. It's something that will always catch my attention. I'll tell you something that won't catch my attention is fake food holidays and you telling me that your client has the best or most interesting um, Mm, pulled pork sandwich for National Pulled Pork Sandwich Day. Interesting. Um, no, that inter- drives me insane. Why? I it's it's so fabricated. It's so fake. I mean, I literally call them fake food holidays. I, I it seems so. It was created in my mind, and I I think this has the only way it could have been created. It was created in my mind because someone was like, "Oh, we need to like find a way." for people to talk about random food things for like our clients all the time. And I'm not, not saying it necessarily was born out of um, PR exclusively because, you know, there are some, some holidays that have been around a long time, but I just like, it, it seems so funny to me to be pitched these like extremely obscure food items and like the, the sheer volume of emails that I get sometimes makes me insane. Like I think it was National Tequila Day and I got no fewer than like 10 emails a day just about National Tequila Day. And it made me go a little bit crazy. <laughs> I'm actually pretty sure that Ronald Reagan had a hand in uh, creating the first actually official national food really? holiday. So now you know who to blame. No, oh, God damn it, Reagan. <laughs> wow, that's crazy. We're going to have to look into that. So, so when you say that now, you're obviously excluding National Hamburger Day. Well, that's, uh, that is <laughs> on my calendar. So. <laughs> I have a Google alert set up every year. <laughs> So do Brad and I. Hey, all right. So <laughs> let, 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 let's let's jump off the listicle thing because honestly, I could probably talk to you about it all, all day. Um, for someone who's looking to get into being an editor, a food writer, or a position like yours, but they have no experience, um, what would be a good way to get some of their experience or, or sort of start start out a career in that? Well, I'm actually sort of I, I feel uniquely positioned to talk about that because I did not go to school. For writing, I did not go to J school. I didn't do any of the many of the normal things that people do when they enter a career in media. I actually went to school at NYU for acting, and I did that for many years. And one day, it was like, I'm miserable. This is horrible. Which so many actors come to that realization. I know that's not unique. Um, but I just sort of thought, well, what do I like to do? And I, I, I liked to write about travel. Whenever I would travel, I would write for myself, and I thought, okay, well, what are the places I like to read? And I was like, oh, I like to read Gothamist, or I like to read Travel and Leisure, or whatever it was. 
And honestly, at let's see, I've been at Gotham this four years. I'm revealing my age, everybody. I guess at 26, I was like, oh god, I I need to do something different, and applied to be an unpaid intern at that time, um, at a bunch of different places, and just said, you know, I have don't have a lot of formal training, I don't have a lot of experience, but I have a passion. In this case, at Gotham, I have a passion for New York City. I I love everything about this city. Um, you know, I've written stuff for myself personally before and I feel like I could make a contribution and I'd like to learn things. So, you know, unpaid internships are a thing of the past, thankfully, and Gothamist pays their interns very well. Um, but I, you know, you sort of have to, I, I really loved having an internship because it was sort of like a no pressure way to experience what the world of, in this case, and it ended up being food media, what media is like, um, but you know, you're not committing to a job that you might have to like extricate yourself from when you realize it's not what you want to do. Um, so you know, I sort of, I always say, oh, I sort of fell into food writing. But I was, I've always been passionate about food, and I've always loved to go to restaurants. I'm a passionate home cook. Um, honestly, like you know, if the internship route isn't for you, and you're sort of ready to to start pitching places, like just go for it. And um, you know, there are a lot of fantastic, especially in New York City, a lot of fantastic food websites and food blogs, and there's a real hunger for food content right now. Um, you know, just be confident and ready to tell a story and see where it gets you. And maybe you'll, you know, your, maybe your pitch isn't the strongest in the world, but you'll have uh, a really cool editor who's willing to take a minute to be like, you know, I think you have a good, a good story here, but here are the edits I'd make, and, you know, here's... Here's what I would do with this piece, and you know, maybe tweak it a little bit, and and help and help you know yourself to sort of learn that process. Um, I don't know, but I'm I'm a strong lover of the internship personally. That's that was something that was really beneficial to me. And look, a lot of interns we have at Gotham now are 18, 19, 20 years old, which makes me feel pretty ancient. But um, but you know, we're always learning, we're always growing. So don't be afraid to sort of start at the bottom and at least get that experience before, you know, diving into something bigger. Great. So, Nell, uh, before we wrap up here, cool. as Rev and I are burger guys, um, we have to ask you our requisite burger questions. Okay. And if your answers are wrong, you're on our bad list. So, <laughs> You'll be on our bad, you know, top ten podcast guests who had a bad answer. You'll be on our listicle. Yeah. I'm, I'm legitimately nervous now, but... <laughs> I guess I'll, I'll dig my own grave since I'm already committed to the podcast. You, good. Can, you guys can pillory me later. Good, good. The, the first question is easier than the second. The first okay. is, what was your favorite childhood burger? See, now this is where you guys are going to really skewer me. This is the question I'm more worried about, actually. Um, so I actually did not grow up eating burgers, um, which is a terrible thing to say because, of course, burgers are delicious, as I know now. But even worse, because some say that the burger originated in my home state of Connecticut. So for a, a nutmegger from someone, for someone from Connecticut to not really eat burgers is sort of like a weird thing. But I did not eat burgers in my childhood, hardly at all. Well, I'll tell you this. In eight episodes, you are not the first person to say that. Oh, thank God. <laughs> but I was you, really nervous. You get major points for me as referencing Louis's lunch as being the original <laughs> hamburger because I believe that anybody else that believes the hamburger was created somewhere else is wrong. Well, good. I'm glad I can at least come out shining in that one respect 
my you know shoddy burger burger history aside. Brad, do you do you have a uh, a preference as to where you think uh, the burger originated from? Are you a Louis Lunch fan as well? Um, I, I don't have a preference. I actually find it a little irrelevant. But I, what I do find interesting is are some of the supposed stories about where the French fry came from. And I do I like a lot the the festival in Texas where the man from Ireland who brought his um, French fried potatoes. Um, I screwed up the story already. I, 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 oh, buried, no. I buried the lead. It really is like the Batman and Robin of, of comfort food. Mm. Uh, no, where the where the man from uh, from Ireland who brought his potatoes and fried them, uh, when he was asked where the recipe came from, he said Paris. And in I believe it was um, an in-flight magazine. Maybe not. No, too old to be an in-flight magazine. Some magazine wrote it, wrote it up as uh, because they were from Paris, they were French fried potatoes. But the man was referring to Paris, Texas. Oh. So, in other words, Nell, Brad is pitching you on a French fry listicle, and he would like to, <laughs> he would like to be your, uh, your intern for a day. Mm. He's not lying. Okay. I would do that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So now here's the other burger question: Where was the okay. last, or what, where, or what was the last burger you ate? Can I have two answers? Because I had two really recently that I loved. Or should it just be the really strictly most recent? Let's, let's share some love. Yeah. So spread the love around. Okay. Well, the, the very most recent one that I ate, and this is actually my first time um, having it, which sort of seems surprising, is from Rippers in the Rockaways. And uh, I loved it. Topped with avocado, my new favorite thing in the whole world. Um, <laughs> it's a fun burger. It, it's a fun burger. And you know what? I like it because, you know, I, I like a fast food style burger. That it's you know it's a little bit on the smaller side. It's messy and sort of like isn't trying to be anything too haughty. And I liked it you know better than Shake Shack. Sorry, Danny Meyer. Wow. Um, it is maybe now one of my new favorite um, fast food style burgers. If you guys have probably terminology, and I'm I'm just walking all over the way that you describe burgers. But in my mind, it's a fast food style burger. So there we go. I'm sure Rev and I don't necessarily agree on what every tier of burger should be called. Okay. Only <laughs> well, one. You guys are the experts, so you can silently judge me or out loud judge me. I, I would understand. Uh, I'm, I'm a fan of using fast food style as a descriptor for a fresh burger that represents a burger that you would get at a QSR. So. Oh, okay. Do you think Rippers counts as something that, that, that fits that description? Uh, I've not been there, so I am not qualified to judge. But, <gasps> dun, but, dun, dun. but I trust you inherently. So. Okay. <laughs> and, and speaking of, of trust, now we're going to ask you the last question we ask everybody. Uh, Wait, do we get the second burger? Oh, yeah, sorry. You have a second burger. Oh, second burger. All right. Well, Thank this is sort of like the antithesis of the burger I just described um, in that it is a very, some might say, a fancy burger. But I absolutely love the burger from Emily in Clinton Hill. Mm. I think it is so good. And it's funny because you guys probably know, but it's a pizza place, but they happen to make a completely rad burger that is so messy, and I don't even care that I'm just covered in burger after I eat it. There's sauce everywhere. There's beef everywhere. There's cheese all over my fingers, and the french fries that come with this burger are also outstanding. So all around, that is my now my new favorite like restaurant burger. I love it. It's a good choice. I just had their Thank dumplings you. of Mimi Chang's. They were off the chain. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I, I, I saw was, pictures. 
I was talking about those in my office today, and I want them so badly. Go get them. Get them before the end of August. They're going to be gone. And it's <laughs> so worth it. This, this is getting to be a dangerous conversation. I know. Uh, it did. Oof, yum. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so now, la- last question of the podcast. What is the one tip you would give to somebody looking to get into uh, into food marketing and doing what you do? Um, you, you already have the passion, so don't give up on it. Um, you know, if you're someone looking to break into media and you've pitched 20 times and you haven't gotten a response, pitch 21. You never know. Um, if you, you know, I don't know a lot about the publicity world in terms of getting a job there, but I would imagine that similar sorts of um, things apply. You know, if you if it's something that you feel passionately about and something that you feel you can contribute to in a meaningful way, then you know, if you've been applying to like the bullfrog type places and that sort of that those bigger companies, like maybe look at a boutique agency or maybe go directly to the source. I mean, I had I helped uh, a new bar in Williamsburg hire someone to do social media for them, and it just happened to be like someone that I knew, and they were looking for someone to do run their social media, and you know, it's they were like, oh well, I have some experience with Twitter, and I was like, great, why don't you start out here? Why don't you guys? have like this mutually beneficial relationship where you know they're getting someone who can help them build their their brand and their social media and you're getting great experience working with a small business and sort of um, having the experience of doing what essentially boils down to marketing for that restaurant so you know thinking outside the box in terms of breaking into the business I think is another you know interesting way to to go about getting in, and if that means knocking on the door of a new bar in your neighborhood and saying, hey, you got someone to run your Instagram because I got a really nice camera, then I say go for it. <laughs> awesome. I, I love that I, that. I love that answer. If people want to know more about you or they want to connect with you, what's the best way to find Nell Casey on the line? Well, first thing, obviously, Gothamist.com. Um, check out our website if you don't already follow us, which you should be doing. Um, if you like the food content that we're doing there, definitely sign up for our food newsletter, which uh, just debuted this summer. At the bottom of every food post, there's a little uh, email box. You can put your email into that, and we'll send you just one email per week with all of our best food content from that week, and it's been really fun to put that together, and I'm very passionate about it, so I'll have to plug that. Um, but if you just like you know, weird people ranting on social media and pictures of food, you can follow me on both Twitter and Instagram at Nell Casey. And, you know, Rev, I know now you're a big fan. You're going to come to all my sing-alongs. So if you're interested in seeing the other part of me and make a, me make a fool of myself with a microphone, you can follow at Secret Formula NY on Twitter and Instagram and come hang out at our shows and have a good time. You do not want to see my two live crew karaoke, so there you no, go. No, but I do want to see it. <laughs> <You're right. laughs> now, thank you for, for, for being uh, very insightful and very helpful and being on the podcast today. Uh, this is a true pleasure to speak with you. It was such a great pleasure to talk with you, Brad and Rev, and you guys are awesome, and uh, thank you so much for having me. Awesome. Well, let me know when it's time to do the Trapped in the Closet uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show style. Sure. I will absolutely let you know. <laughs> Thanks, now. Thank you, guys. Bye. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in to another episode of Like, Bite, and Share. We hope you found today's interview insightful. If you didn't get a chance to write down everything, no worries. We take the show notes for you. Go to schweidensons.com slash podcast to find them. If you enjoy the show, we ask for one favor, and that's please give us a rating in iTunes. That helps us to spread the word to others who might find this valuable like you do. If you haven't subscribed to the show yet, please subscribe on your favorite podcast player. 
so you don't miss a future episode featuring helpful tips from other professionals in the food marketing business. Stay hungry.